there's no way it was peaceful if they were Pacific rimming people. Is that what you said? That sounded grosser than <laughs> I intended it to be. Just take that out. How do you Pacific rim someone? <laughs> I was trying to make the movie reference and then I said it and I was like, porno. <laughs> time to learn. Time to laugh. It's the death of Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Death Address. This week, we're going to be talking about King Edward II. Mm -hmm. Jordan went ahead and did the research again to jump back into the leading role and uh, going over the information we have. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the episode and have some laughs with us. Jordan, take it away. Okay. (laughs) Okie doke, so... You have to give me a little bit of latitude here. I haven't done this in a little bit. You can so. have some longitude. <laughs> That's dirty. So um, I did mine on Edward II. He was king of England in the late 13th century, beginning of the 14th century. Um, he was actually king in the 14th century and was born in the, the end of the 13th. But he was really known uh, for not being that great of a king. He didn't really make a lot of people happy. He was a little selfish with his uh, wants and desires and, and putting those ahead of other people. Um, he also had some conspiracy around his death. So he, um, we'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit, but I don't want to give anything away too early. But You got to tease the audience. Yes, yes. So anyways, Edward II, um, he was also known as Edward of Carnarvon or Carnarvon. Um, I looked it up. It's mainly known for like a castle in Wales. Um, but he was born April 25th. <laughs> like a castle made of Wales? Uh, no, yeah. it's a castle in a whale. <laughs> uh, but he was born April 25th, 1284, so right at the end of the 13th century in Wales. And he supposedly, most historians accept that he died in September of 1327. So he wasn't very old, but he potentially could have died later into like 1330. But we'll go into that conspiracy in a little bit. Three years is not much of a difference. You know, just just a little bit there. Um, But he did die, if he did die when they said he did, um, in Gloucestershire, England, and he did reign for 20 years as King of England from 1307 to 1327. That's how long so, he reigned for? Uh-huh. Yeah, reigned for 20 okay. years. And, and This guy's uh, the villain of Braveheart. Oh, is he really? Robert the Bruce, right? <gasps> oh, yeah. Robert the Bruce. We talk about him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I asked her, I was like, are you sure it's not the Brute? And she's okay. like, nah, it's the Bruce. I'm like, all right, yeah. Bruce Willis. He's, he's very brief in this story, but we'll talk about him for just a little bit. Robert the Bruce Willis. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he had, a, he had a lot of issues with Scotland. So that, Scotland. that will come up. Scotland. For France, Scotland. His wife. Ooh. His lovers. Yes. So, anyways, early life, uh, he was the fourth son of Edward the First. Fun, not so fun fact: all three of his older brothers died, so he became heir apparent to the throne um, when his oldest brother, that was still alive at the time, Alfonso, died. um, Which he actually died only a few months after Edward was born, so he never knew his brother. Um, he never really knew siblings so at like, all. So he as plotted to as, kill him as a baby. Yeah, I, was, I was just about to say, was like, as soon as he came out the womb, he was like, you dead, you dead, you dead. I'm king. <laughs> so, but yeah, and his brother died of illness. So, you know, but Quote, it was also. Air quotes, air quotes, illness. I will say this, though. His brother died a few months before his wedding. 
So, I mean, right before he could have an heir. Air quotes. Wedding. But, you know. Air air quotes. He became heir apparent right after um, his his brother died. So, as an infant, he became the next heir. Um, And starting around, and this was actually in 1284. So, same year he was born, he became the heir apparent after his brother died. Um, and then plotting from birth 16 years later, starting in 1300, he started to go with his father, Edward the first on campaigns to pacify Scotland. So his dad actually was trying to, when you say (laughs) to pacify Scotland, they're like genocide (laughs) pacifiers. Like, Hey, you guys are stressed out. Stick this pacifier in your mouth. It's like that Vin Diesel movie, the pacifier. That's what I was thinking. Isn't (laughs) Is that, am I wrong? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Good try, though. Dang. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, he started to go on campaigns to, you know, make peace. But, like Andy was saying, you know, it it wasn't nearly as peaceful as it sounded. And, you know, his his dad was trying a little bit harder than Edward II ever did. His dad started taking him on these expeditions. He started to get familiar with Scotland and kind of what was, was happening politically and what his father was trying to do. And six years later, when he was 22, he was knighted in a grand ceremony at Westminster Abbey. And then following his father's death the next year in 1307, he was actually succeeded to the throne uh, or succeeded to the throne. And so he killed his father. Finally, I actually don't remember reading how his dad died. So who who knows? He took him hunting for that dinosaur. I was promised him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think seceded. Never, right? <laughs> no, never was, came back. Was it seceded? Because I feel like seceded was when you like when you secede somebody is when you surrender. Seceding is what Texas wants to do. Yeah, when you like leave. But yeah. I thought it worked both ways. Maybe right. not. That'd be hot. Well, there's a lot of things that work both ways in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> as soon as he did ascend to the throne, he immediately gave the highest offices to all of Edward I, his father's most prominent opponents. So he was like, screw you, dad. Here's all your enemies. I'm going to give them some of the highest offices in the country. See, Um, he murdered his dad. He had a a weird father-dad relationship with him. Now, I did no research on his father's death. wait to be king. So... Let us can't wait to he be just king. Could not wait to be yeah. king. Yeah. So it. yeah, he he immediately did that and almost instantaneously earned the hatred of every baron in the area uh, who who basically were his father's supporters. Um, he kind of flipped the whole table around and made enemies very very early on, and Sick. he granted. Um, now, now, I should say here, this was back in 1300, so seven years prior, um, he did have somebody join his household. His name was Piers Gaveston, and this is kind of the first controversial relationship of his uh, life here, and it's, it's supposedly, <laughs> supposedly it was a homosexual relationship with Piers. Um, oh, you weren't kidding. Yeah, yeah. And some people say, you know, they were just really great friends. Some say that they were sworn brothers uh, because they had been, you know, friends seven years before he became king. But others say, yeah, they they were lovers. Um, Some say it was the first bromance taken too far. Yeah, you know. They were were bunk buddies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
But regardless of all that. (laughs) But not the last. (laughs) Yeah. So so supposedly, though, he, he, you know, was added to his household in in 1300. Um, You know, they were really, really close. We'll just put it that way. And there's actually, this is a total side note, but Christopher Marlowe, one of the big playwrights in the uh, 16th century, he actually wrote Edward II, which supposedly was inspired by Edward II's relationship with Piers Gaveston. So there's a lot of media and uh, different portrayals of their relationship throughout history. So that's so, kind of a cool little... He wasn't just his bro, he was his step-bro. <sighs> Is this where they got the plot for uh, Brokeback Mountain? Actually, I, I don't think there was any cowboys involved that, you know, is a little bit different. Oh. Well, you know, they switch it up over the years. You yeah. can't have Brokeback Mountain without bro. Bros. They're oh so ridiculous. But anyways, um, once he did take power in 1307, one of the very first things he did, those highest offices that he gave out, was he gave Piers Gaveston the Earldom of Cornwall, um, which really pissed a lot of people off because this was a big chunk of land, really, well, yeah, really I mean, high title. On the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it also gave him a lot of power. So Piers was, was really high ranking, had a lot of power over the decisions that these previous barons had. Um, and when this happened and all of the you know previous high power barons saw it, they drafted a document known as the Ordinances. Um, And they later became known as the Ordinances of 1311. Um, Now, this committee (laughs) that they called themselves had 21 different barons in it, and it demanded the banishment of Piers Gaveston, and it also wanted to restrict the king's powers um, over finances and appointing people to these higher offices. So... Basically, they drafted this whole document, brought it to uh, King Edward II, and was like, look, bro, you got too much power, you're making stupid decisions, and we don't like your bro peers. So, Wait, you so need was, to get the, rid of him. was their motivation to do this homophobic, or was it? You know, I think it, it probably, the homophobic part of it came after the fact. It was more, at first, they were like, you know, this isn't okay. You took our land. You took, you know, our potential for money. You took our titles. And it seems like this guy is the forefront of that decision. And the, so... The foreplay of the decision? <laughs> the foreskin? <laughs> You're going um, for foreskin there. Yeah, yeah. I, think that, I think that was it. I missed it. By well, and, and actually before this happened, before this whole ordinances of 1311, Edward was actually married. He married Isabella of France. Um, she was... Only 12 years old when they married. Um, Naturally. And it was actually due to tensions between the English and the French crowns um, because she was the daughter of, um, let's see, her dad was, he was one of the King Philips of France. One of oh, here, King Philip the Fourth of France. Yeah, King Philip the Fourth of France. The Fourth of France. And so, when they married, and she was only twelve years old, it really it wasn't for love. It wasn't for you know any good connection that they have. It was strictly political, um, just to resolve some of the tensions between them. So they married in thirteen oh eight, which was three years prior. How old was he? Like he, let's see, he was born in twelve eighty four. So he was like almost thirty. Or he would have been twenty four. Jeez. Yeah, 24, twice her age. 12 year gap. Um, he yeah. was too 12 year old. 
really yeah. knew how to do it. It was two 12 year olds. <laughs> yeah. So now I will say Isabella held her own and she's a huge part of this story um, later on, but she actually became known as the she wolf of France. Um, she was super diplomatic, had really great diplomatic skills. She was really intelligent, beautiful. Um, she actually became known as a femme fatale figure uh, later on in some of those plays and literature that I was talking about. And, you know, that kind of led to a little bit, I think it was more, she was a very strong woman, but she, you know, was known as being beautiful, but cruel and, and very manipulative, which, you know, does does play out later. I mean, at, so that I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of what she needed to do. She got yeah. married at 12, like forced into marriage at 12. Yeah. You kind of have to pick that up. To well, like and, and for yourself. you know, unfortunately, at the age of 12, they got married, immediately started having heirs. You know, it was it was probably rough you know of the time i'm sure it was more expected but it'll make you bitter you yeah not not a whole lot of love (laughs) in that marriage so (laughs) what and while that was all happening you know edward the second had his you know friendship lover Mm. with uh peers step bro and so around this time you know between 1307 and 1311 that's four years where he gained immense power over these barons uh peers gaveston did so the ordinances of 1311 came around. Now, when this happened, uh, because there were so many barons and all of their estates and all the people that followed them who were so upset about Piers having the power, Edward reluctantly agreed to exile him. Um, he was practically forced into making him leave the country. And he was, you know, gone for a while and... When they they banished him, essentially the the barons, they gained a lot of that power back. And um, when they did that, Edward lost a lot of his power as well because they revoked a lot of his reforms. They essentially tried to put everything back to how it was when Edward the First was ruling. So he was what a was little butt hurt by it. Yeah, he, he was. was what, what, what country was he in? England. So it was make England great again. <laughs> It was, it was kind of that. Yeah, they were real upset about their loss of power and basically just formed too big of a group uh, for him to Crap, say no I to. unmute, but mega sounds way cooler than mega. <laughs> <laughs> Crap, I couldn't unmute. Now, as all of this is happening, like I said, Isabella was really diplomatic. Uh, I should say she was very savvy as well. And she was trying to, you know, back Edward and keep all of his supporters happy. So she agreed with having Gaveston leave. Now, at first, there was a lot of contention between Isabella and Piers Gaveston. Um, They did come to be friends a little bit later on. I don't know if friends is the right word, but they tolerated each other a little bit more. But at this time, she was really more of a peacemaker, just trying to keep things civil, you know, because it was a, a peace between Edward and Isabella for England and France. So, yeah, anyways, that all happens Piers Gaveston is banished. Edward's trying to make all the barons happy. He loses a little bit of his power. And as this is happening, uh, they kind of just live their lives for a little bit and, and things are going great. And then in 1312, Edward tries to bring uh, Gaveston back. So he tries to bring him back. The couple months go by of, of this happening. He's like, this is not okay. Well, when he tries to bring him back, more of the earls, or not earls, uh, earls. barons, <laughs> it's the been, barons. It's been almost a year. I thought you guys would 
like have forgave us. Yeah, yeah. And and one of them actually was Edward's cousin, the second Earl of Lancaster. Uh, he led a group of barons and actually seized and executed Piers Ga- uh, Gaveston in Holy 1312. Shit. He was not expecting So they were like, screw you. Yeah, you can't bring him back because it's just going to cause the same issues. Uh, dude, we banished him and you brought him back. We have to kill him now. You yeah. knew the rules. Yeah. Still a better I, love story I, than Twilight. thought you guys were kidding i mean really though that's you know 11 to 12 years of really you know close relationship for edward and Piers. so as you can imagine edward was really pissed he was really really mad but he wasn't cool with them doing that (laughs) no oh okay you know he's gonna have a bf i mean yeah i feel like Um, that's fair and and that unfortunately started several years of armed confrontation between himself and the Lancaster uh, group. And some of it, you know, he had to bide his time because he didn't have the power or the support behind him to really do anything at that point. When you say um, armed, were they like with slingshots? Like bear um, arms? I'm going to say a little bit heavier <laughs> artillery. Sling Haven't you seen shots? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and hey, as and this is happening, Mel Gibson at him. Well, and as this is all happening, so Piers Gaveston dies in 1312. You know, Edward's trying to to cope and move forward and and do these things, and Edward is still not having this whole peace with Scotland. Um, he's you know still not making any great decisions to to keep the peace treaty that his father tried to put in place, and the English forces were pushed back in Scotland. So he had, you know, some military there trying to take over. And that leads to the battle of Bannockburn, Bannockburn, Bannockburn in 1314. And that was probably the big battle in Braveheart uh, that was led by Robert the Bruce. And when that happened, unfortunately for the English, it did not go well. Widespread famine followed and, most of the nobility and the common people were criticizing his his reign. Edward? Yeah. So it was like, he was like, I'm finally king. What can I do to fuck up what my dad did? You know, <laughs> it, that, that really was a lot of it. So. But Mel Gibson was there to stand up to him. Yeah. Man, yeah. With that speech, Joe, Joe Nibson. he rallied the troops. He was yeah. just like, they may take our wives and our elderly <laughs> and the sick and disabled and my brother Ned, but Let's they'll never like take my people. freedom. Yeah. So so that all happens. And, uh, you know, that's, again, 1314. Not as much happened um, that I took note of between that time and the early 1320s. Um, a lot of it was still him just trying to scramble and get purchased where he could and try to gain his supporters back. But around that time frame, he becomes close with the Dispenser family. Um, and in particular, Hugh Dispenser. <laughs> I, I hope I'm saying that right. It looks huge like Dispenser. dispenser. <laughs> it, it does look like Dispenser. And when you put yeah. huge in front of it, I got my porn name. It's not huge. <laughs> it's huge. Hugh. Oh, it's Hugh? Did Hugh you ch- Dispenser. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a G. Um, but Hugh Dispenser was the son of an earl, um, and he became kind of the next suitor for Edward II. There were a couple other ones in there, um, but none of them are really as, as important. His name has Le. It's Le Huge Dispenser. <laughs> the Huge Dispenser. Yeah, Hugh Le Dispenser was his. <laughs> huge, the Dispenser. Yeah. It works either way. Uh, but he became really close friends friends um, and an advisor to Edward. 
And during this time, again, Edward has a really bad tendency of giving power to people he feels are close to him, mm. no matter what their you know actual background is. So he gave Hugh Dispenser a <laughs> big, vast uh, domain uh, covering most of South Wales. I mean, he had to pay Hugh Dispenser back for what he gave him. You know, <laughs> I mean, honestly, giving the but power they've made to the on taxes alone from just- weed. <laughs> Yeah, well, and basically in those Wait, times... hold on, hold on. What did you say then? I was like, honestly, giving the power to the people that he likes sounds like just history and current time in yeah. general. <laughs> it's, it's true. But it's history true. repeats itself yeah, when we're ne- going through it in this day and age right now again. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, and... Basically, in this time period, land equaled power. So when he gave that big, big domain um, covering most of South Wales to Hugh, he made him super powerful. And he was Why? like, people that was can't a huge say no to him. Why did you give a huge, that huge of land? <laughs> and basically, whatever Hugh wanted, he was able to get because of that power that Edward gave him. Um, so nobody was really safe. If they pissed him off, they could lose everything. Um, and it was really, you know, Hugh could say something to Edward and turn his ear and it would happen. So um, Hugh really was kind of the the force behind a lot of the decisions that Edward made during that time. And King when King. that happened, um, of course, everybody was super upset about it. The barons were like, oh, God, this again. And so they tried to come up um, with another solution to get the power back in their hands. Now, if you remember, um, the Lancaster group was part of the ones that killed Piers Gaveston. And the barons were really close with them because, you know, they, they did this huge coup, or coup and um, Lancaster at the time, their family was seen. They didn't have like the technical power, but they had the support of all the people. They had the support of the barons. They were the true power um, in the area at the time. They were so, very popular. They were like the yeah. Kardashians. Yep, super popular, had a lot of support. So they they did have power because they had the support of people. Um, they just didn't have the the monetary power that Edward had, um, the, the one that he took back when he basically canceled the ordinances of 1311. And during this time, 1321 rolls around. They're like, this is ridiculous. It's been you know a few years of this. Hugh's gotten on everybody's nerves. They're like, we hate this dude. So Lancaster and uh, several of the barons actually seized the dispenser's land, um, the one that uh, the king gave him, and then they forced the king to exile them as well. So pretty much playing the same thing that they did with Piers Gaveston. So this time, though, Edward was like, screw this. You know, I'm not going to allow this again. And he led a short military campaign and captured and executed um, the Earl of Lannister. So he kind of took it into his own hands. Lannister or Lancaster? Or Lancaster, excuse me. I was Sorry. like, we just, <laughs> went into Game of we just went into Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> Lancaster. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I can't sing too much of it. But he, yeah, he captured and executed the Earl of Lannister. He was just um, like, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Yep. Lannister. <laughs> Lancaster, God damn it. Um, but yeah, so he did all that. And this essentially beforehand, he had not formally revoked the ordinances of 1311. Just he kind of turned away from them. But at this point, he formally revoked them. Um, and he took that in a really extreme measure and executed all his enemies and took all of their land. Um, so he Man, went after these business. barons. 
Yeah. I mean, they killed his past lover and they tried to kill his now lover. Yeah. So they, he really went after it, killed all the barons that were behind uh, Lancaster's and took all their land. So like, What's Isabella been doing this whole time while he's just like So yeah, so she's been she's been having babies, she's still trying to be supportive um, as much as she can. Cause again, she's there to keep the peace between him and France. Heck in wifey material. This sounds, yeah. this sounds like the Game of Thrones situation <laughs> yeah. with the the Renly Baratheon. Yep. So and I mean she was trying to support him as much as possible because he was really screwing things up with Scotland. She didn't want there to be a huge issue with France. So she was trying to keep, you know, as much peace as possible. And she really was, you know, a, a powerful player in all this, even if she was more behind the scenes during these times. Um and she actually publicly pleaded with um the king at this point to exile Hugh Dispenser. Um, she's like, you got to get rid of him. He's causing all these issues. You need to do it at least, you know, not for yourself, just for the kingdom's sake. And yeah, he, he was not happy with this. As soon as Hugh heard he was trying or she was trying to get Edward to get rid of him as well. He took advantage of his power and his ability to, you know, adjust legislation. He really screwed her over because at this point she wasn't she wasn't outwardly saying, you know, to the people he's horrible. She was just trying to do it more to protect the kingdom and to protect Edward. But she, um, or Hugh, when this all happened, he basically destroyed her life. He placed her, uh, arrested her and imprisoned her along with all of her French staff um, because tensions were rising at this point between France and England. Um, they confiscated all her lands, took over running her household. They also removed her children from the home, um, and they put her in the custody of the the Dispenser family. So Wait, they, they put Isabella. Uh huh. They wow. arrested and imprisoned her, took her children, imprisoned all her French staff, um, and and at that point, unfortunately, she kind of broke. She realized that she had no hope of working through things with Edward. Um, he was really under the control of Hugh Dispenser um, and the family. And she started to think about radical solutions. She was done with it. Shouldn't have messed with so. her children. Yeah, yeah. Especially when. Wait, is yeah. this a Quentin Tarantino movie yet? <laughs> it will be after this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, and um, yeah, her, her opinion essentially of her husband turned to one of, of kind of long-suffering distrust of him just to violent contempt of anything that he was doing. Hmm. So like I said, at this time, tensions were rising with France. You know, they, they just imprisoned the princess of France, essentially the queen of England, and took her children away. And so in, in 1324, when all this was happening, you know, even though supposedly Hugh was kind of the leading cause behind this, she knew that Edward was behind this as well. He didn't stop it. Uh, But Isabella's brother, the now King of France uh, was like, okay, this is not okay. He wanted to do something essentially to hurt Edward as well. So he threatened to take away Edward's possession in Gascony, um, all of his possessions there, his land, everything. Um, And he responded poorly to this and actually issued an edict commanding the arrest of all French aliens in England and Wales. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, when did we get aliens? Whoa. Shit's <laughs> getting whoa, heavy now. Whoa, whoa, 
immigrants, essentially. Oh. So pretty much all French immigrants in England and Wales. He was like, you're going to take my stuff. I'm going to take yours. So, but, so but, but by that he meant people. Like, so yeah. England and France at this point was just a dysfunctional marriage. Uh huh. Yeah. The, yep. thir- the 1300s was a messed up place. Yep. And um, you know, after all this happened, Edward sat back and was like, "Oh man, that probably was not a very smart decision." And so he, hey, you guys, know, did I, did I make the right choice? <laughs> yeah. So so he turned to his wife, who at the time he believed she was still going to support him and back him and everything. He did not realize that she had broken like fucking and was, men. Yeah, <laughs> and she was, you know, plotting what she could do to get away from him and 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 do those kind of things. So, so he turns like, to her. I know, I know they captured you and threw you in like a dungeon, but you're you're still with me, right? Yeah. We, we cool? Well, Can we still like know, do it? I, I don't know imprisonment if it was like dungeon or more if like because at that time sometimes if they imprisoned you and you were royalty they just put you in like the summer house home. Arrest. <laughs> no, Didn't you no, say no, that she went to that one dude's house, uh, the the dispenser? Yes, dispenser estate. Yeah, so that's and, where she and, was. And you know where they kept her? We're talking like Peter Dinklage style Game of Thrones in a dungeon, locked up, like with a with a shed of light coming in for the no, camera. No, I don't think so because he was still turning to her. And it all was she more... had to eat was hay. <laughs> No. And they didn't even have horses. Good try. But she was stripped of her children, and it was not in a good mental state. Um, because they kept her in the dark. But, <laughs> but he went to her and was like, hey, you know, things are going really bad between us and France. I can't deal with this on top of Scotland. I'm sorry. Can you go and talk with your brother? Can you go to France? Try to intercede and arrange peace. Because Babe, getting... I know, I know, we locked you up, but could you please go get my shit back from your yeah. brother? I mean, her being as smart as she yeah. is, probably is going to be oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, totally, babe. Don't ruin it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, but I yeah. my my there. I need my seeds. Yeah. She's going to decline. Is yeah, what I meant to say. but yeah, and he, and she's like, you know what? That's a great idea. I'll go to France. I'll I'll negotiate a peace treaty. It'll be great. So well, while she's saying that, she has her boobs out flashing him. <laughs> But she does go to France. She meets with her brother, and they actually do negotiate a peace treaty very quickly. Um, the only condition was that the king's eldest son, uh, which was Edward III, was going to pay homage to the French king in, in some way. So he's essentially going to suck up and be like, sorry for my dad. He's Whoa, awful. Don't say that in this episode. And, <laughs> <laughs> and when she did this, it was actually a really, really strategic. Strategic. Like you stopped yourself to say it. I'm not going to say it right. Strategic. Damn it. It was a really strategic move on her part because not only is she now out of Edward's grasp and back with her family, she now has the heir to the English throne under her control. Because Edward III, this was the condition that she pay homage to the, or he pay homage to the French king. So, super, super smart move on her part. Now she was thinking with portals. Yes. Now she did take a little bit of a play out of her husband's book uh, while she was in France. She did meet up with Roger Mortimer. He was the first Earl of March, and he actually had escaped to France um, when Edward was doing his whole Baron purging. And he's the one that put March on the calendars. That's not the least bit true. (laughs) Good try though. Um, Because he actually tried to lead an unsuccessful revolt against Edward um, during those dispenser wars, which was essentially when Hugh and Edward were trying to take out everybody. Um, And 
while she was there, they did become lovers. Um, oh. You know, she was like, screw him. I'm going to stay here and screw Roger. And Give me more to more. Yep. If and you can have male lovers, so can I. There you go. Yep. <laughs> so while they were there, they actually began organizing an invasion oh. um, of England. <gasps> With the French aliens? Yes, actually. Yeah. Her army was really small, only had a few hundred mercenaries and then a few thousand English defectors. Um, so people who had escaped from England when all this was happening. And she really knew what she was doing. She knew that people who were afraid of the dispenser's ambition and power, um, especially the nobility, would flock to her if she promised to replace Edward uh, with a new king, her her son, Edward III, who she did have control over at that time. So she got you know this little bit of support behind her. She knew she would be able to garner more support as she moved through. And in September of 1326, so this is just a year after she left for France and refused to come back, started her affair um, and planned this invasion, she did land on the east uh, coast of East Anglia, I believe. Correct. And nobody really stood in her way. She marched on uh, London and it was so quickly, she was able to get there so quickly that the king barely got the news in time because she had so much support from <laughs> the nobility and commoners. They were like, okay, cool, come on through. We won't say anything. Sick. Um, and he panicked. He was like, holy crap, my wife's, <laughs> my, my wife's and her lover are coming to invade and take you over. realize if she kills you, we'll cover for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was not looking good for him. So he and Hugh actually uh, started panic, stuffed all their belongings with, uh, into saddlebags, gold, uh, pretty much everything that they could grab before she arrived in London and fled. Um, they were trying to go to South Wales that, big amount of land that he had given to the dispenser family. They're like, okay, we're going to go there. It's going to be our power base. We can figure out what we're going to do once we get there. When they arrived, they were actually informed that Hugh's father, the um, Earl of the dispenser family, I believed was actually already dead. Um, he had been executed and his body was fed to the dogs. And when that happened, he was trying to, defend bristol against isabella um but he lost and yeah she she fed his body to the dogs okay so nice this is this is the one that george r. r martin got all of this stuff from isn't it for game of thrones wasn't his stuff like i don't know based no, off no, of george stuff r. r martin history? based game of thrones off of his turtle collection at the age of 17 that he couldn't keep alive and he wrote intricate Plots for all of their deaths. I'm not kidding you. When his turtles all starved one by one, is based off he started of that making up in elaborate. No, he, she just sands a Stark Tim. She sands a Stark Tim and fed him to the freaking dogs. He was dude. a history buff, but when his turtles were dying, he came up with intricate reasons for their deaths, and out of that spun Game of Thrones. Game of and those intricate deaths were things he had learned in history because he was a history buff. Yeah, Life so, imitates art, vice versa. That's yeah. weird. One of my turtles' name was King Edward the, the Second. <laughs> but yeah, he well, just Isabella is a survivor. Like, <laughs> Isabella is a survivor. <laughs> She's making it to the end. And, well, no, Edward and, just seems like your average, like dumb ruler that thinks everybody loves them no matter what they do. Yeah. And at that point, he just screwed everyone over and was fucked. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I will say, at this point, the year before this happened. 
he he did reach out to Scotland and try to to get peace with them um, and and too try little, to make a, too a truce late. with with Robert <laughs> and he did sign one. Um, but, you know, she wasn't super happy about it. The people weren't super happy about it. So it was another kind of thing. So so there was tentative peace with Scotland at this time, but it wasn't it wasn't anything to save him, essentially. Yeah. There wasn't anything he was gonna be able to bring in Scotland as a defense. He was he was kind of on his own. Plus we shouldn't even mention what they were doing to Ireland at the time. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was <laughs> a lot of a lot of death Poor and, Irish. and destruction. <laughs> um, Poor Irish but, bastards and their damn potato. <laughs> Whoa. But anyways, they they get to uh, they get to South Wales. They get to kind of their their stronghold, and that's immediately when they find out that yeah, Hugh's father is dead. Um, he he did get fed to the dogs by Isabella uh, while he was trying to defend Bristol, and it pretty much set the message that when Isabella found Hugh, he is going to be executed in a horrible manner um which did come true they continued to kind of flee around the country for a little bit but they couldn't find support anywhere um so they had to keep moving and moving and eventually they were caught um edward was imprisoned and hugh was hanged drawn and quartered in the street in front of a crowd of spectators what does quartered mean they uh, pulled him in four different directions until he oh, ripped apart. <laughs> the cool horse thing in that Sean Bean movie. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, he he was uh, tortured and, and killed once she finally got her hands on him. If anybody's looking to, to see that happen, you can watch the, I think, what was it called? Even the Black Plague or something? I don't know. Sean Bean. I think it's called Black Death. Black Death. I don't know. It's some. Um, Sean Bean gets murdered by four horses getting pulled apart. It's cool. <laughs> Yeah. So at this point, it's 1326. Um, you know, he'd fled to Wales and he he was imprisoned around that time, end of 1326. And then in 1327, uh, January 1327, he was forced to abdicate and relinquish his crown to his son, Edward III, um, who at the time was only 14 years old. So again, uh, super, super good choice putting teenagers in charge of the country. Yeah, they know best. Yeah, and I mean, his mom, um, Isabella, was still in control of him, so she essentially was taking that power when she forced him to abdicate to her son. Is but... he old enough to drink beer yet? No? Perfect. Then he'll be sober. <laughs> Give him the crown. I have those rules. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like, the drinking age in England is like 15 even now. Yeah, but he was 14, so he had a year. Yeah. Now, at this time, so there, there were still a lot of people that Edward had tried to put into power who did support him. Um, so, of course, like whenever you do have a government change like this, um, he did have some supporters who were opposed to the new government, um, and they immediately made plans to try to free Edward. So Roger Mortimer, Isabella's lover and partner in all of this, decided to move him to Berkeley Castle in Gloucestershire. Glouc- Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. And um, he was brought there in April of 1327. So at this point, he's in Berkeley Castle in Gloucestershire, England. He's no longer in Wales. And once there, he was kept in the custody of Mortimer's son-in-law, Thomas de Berkeley, um, and John Maltravers. And they were given five pounds a day to uh, maintain Edward. Wow. Yeah, five pounds a day for Edward's maintenance. Um and a lot of people have 
kind of talked about how they thought he was cared for. Uh, the people who thought he died a brutal death definitely thought that he was starved and depressed and beaten and all these things. Other people think that, you know, there are some records of him getting luxury goods while he was there. Um, but, but most people think that he was mistreated. And there's actually a poem called The Lament of Edward II. And it was once thought to have been written by Edward during his imprisonment. But most modern scholars think that that's not true. Somebody wrote it after the fact. But, but yeah, so he was there. He was kept there for a little bit. And there were a lot more plots that were brought forth of people trying to free him. Some of them actually involved the Dominican order and some uh, household knights. Um, and one of them got as far as breaking into the prison within the castle, but, but that was squashed and they were, they were dealt with very briskly. Hmm. Um, but because of all these threats, because there was actually an attempted break in to free him, he was moved around to a lot of other locations in secret um, during the summer but he was eventually brought back to Berkeley Castle, and um, summer of late late summer of uh, 1327 was when he was brought back there. So super unstable in the country at the time. Isabella and Mortimer are trying to um, control the country with Edward III as their kind of puppet in all of this. And yeah, so so that's kind of how the summer's going. It's okay. it's real tense. Not a, not a whole lot of happy situations going on. Well, in September, uh, on September 23rd, Edward III was informed that his father had actually died um, at Berkeley Castle. And most historians believe that this is accurate. They, they think that he did die um, in September of 1327. Um, but some people did believe he actually died much later. And we'll, we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> More death. And they. this is kind of the, the weird part about this. There was a few conspiracies on, on how people thought he died. Most Aliens. of them uh, actually at that time, which it could, i trying to think the best way to say this. It could have been more because people did think that he either was bisexual or homosexual. Uh, but there was a rumor going around that he was actually killed when they took a red hot poker and shoved it in his anal cavity and he, <laughs> he died sake. from the wounds. <laughs> um, that was kind of the biggest, if you like Google Edward the okay. second death, that's like the biggest thing that comes up. Once his father, or his father had passed and Edward the third was informed of his death. Um, his body was embalmed at Berkeley castle and it was viewed by local leaders from Bristol and Gloucester, uh, Gloucester at the time. Um, and then it was taken to Gloucester Abbey on October 21st. And then he was finally buried in December, three months later, December 20th. And it was probably delayed. So Edward III could attend in person because, you know, he had a lot of other things going on at the time. Um, and uh, Gloucester was probably chosen because all the other abbeys had refused to take him. Um, because again, a lot of people didn't like him. Because he's um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they really didn't like him. But um, it was a really grand affair. The funeral cost at the time 351 pounds. Um, but that's a lot of money by today's standards. He had like gilt yeah. lions and um, gold leaf paintings. And there were a lot of crowds that came to see it. They actually had to put up barriers to manage the crowds that were coming to see. So, Who arranged that? Did Isabella hook him up with that? So that was actually Edward III, his son, um, arranged Makes for sense. all that. And at the time, um, the, the government probably hoped to 
do more of like a, a normal veneer of what was happening in the political agenda. Uh, they were probably like, man, things have been real bad. Let's do our, our normal grand funeral. Make everything seem, you know, like it was normal. Ding dong, Edward is dead. Now, I will say, as soon as his death was announced, Edward III actually got a little bit pissed. Um, he was like, this is ridiculous. And he turned a lot of the blame on his mother, Isabella and Mortimer. And their rule did not last much longer after that. Um, they ended up while they were ruling, they made a peace treaty with the Scots, um, but that was highly unpopular. And then they also spent a lot of money. And so a lot of the people who were supporting them, commoners and nobility were like, hey, we supported you, but now you're doing the same thing. You're just blowing money, not really taking care of us. So relations between Mortimer and Edward III were super strained around um, 1330-ish. And the king actually conducted a coup of Nottingham Castle where Isabella and Mortimer were staying. He arrested Mortimer and then executed him on 14 charges of treason, including the murder of Edward II. So oh, they, they had all this funeral, they did everything. And then, you know, a few years later, he was like, he's the reason my father's dead. They're the reason all this happened. Yeah, executed him on charges of treason. And the government, along with it, were like, oh, yeah, no, it's totally his fault. And they blamed Mortimer for all the recent problems. <laughs> so, so literally it was like history repeating itself in a matter of his son took over for his father yep. being dumb. Yeah. It was like years later, even though he was on their side, it's like, yeah. oh, maybe I made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> well, that and, scapegoat. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. It really was, I think, a scapegoat kind of thing. And the fact that. Isabella and Mortimer had promised all these things to nobility and commoners, and then they didn't do shit. They're like, okay, well, we're just going to spend the money. We're going to control everything, just like Edward II was that doing. That sounds like every ruler ever. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. Now, after Edward III killed Mortimer, executed him for treason, he did spare Isabella, um, actually gave her a generous allowance, and then she eventually did return to public life. Um, I don't know, you know if he was able to talk her down or if he was like, yeah, she did her best. Um, but, but yeah, and, you know, around that time with Mortimer's execution, rumors started circulating that Edward II had actually been murdered. Um, it wasn't that, you know, he, he died of natural causes, which is kind of what Edward III was told <laughs> that he just died of like either depression or oh, so the circumstances. Yeah, no, he just lost poker back then. No, the fire like, poker he fire, went around. He fire poked himself. Yeah. <laughs> he lost his so, will to live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of what he was told. Um, that's kind of when everybody's thoughts started, you know, turning away from him. Oh, you know, he was murdered as a political plot. And Christopher Marlowe, he was the one that actually really, really made mainstream the, the story of the Red Hot Poker incident. Um, he said that Edward was pinned to the ground by assassins, and that's when it was inserted into his butthole. And it was just, yeah, it's a whole thing. But um, like, how much do you have to be paid to assassinate someone with a hot poker <laughs> to the butthole? It's just like, at least two quid. Two quid. I just like how you chose butthole instead of anal cavity. I was that time. trying to change it. <laughs> Thank up. goodness. Butthole, butthole, <laughs> anal cavity, you know. But Pick your flavor. Some, yeah, some people think it was deliberate propaganda, though, to really um, heighten the, I guess, the support of. Mortimer's execution and just saying like, oh my God, can you believe they did this to a king? And it was also kind of like I said, hand in hand with the whole 
homophobia kind of thing. So it was it was just a lot of, of talk and people were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So they It was a messy it. time, is what you're saying. Yeah. Well yeah. he did like it in the butt, so that that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I mean that's I think kind of where a lot of it came from. And then a lot of chroniclers in the mid 1330s and 1340s spread it further. Um and it was supporter supported now even by years spread later. It, are you talking about his butt cheeks? <laughs> so, so social media basically already existed back in the 1300s but just Apparently. by word of mouth yeah a lot of word of mouth and they um yeah it just kept spreading and spreading more people were talking about it and most historians nowadays definitely dismiss the account of his death like that um and their their biggest reasoning is there's not a whole lot of logic in his uh, captors murdering him in such an easily uh, discernible manner they're like yeah it'd be pretty clear that he was murdered if yeah. they actually did that so they think it was definitely suspicious as far as like when it happened it was you know very timely it simplified mortimer's political problems <laughs> it got rid of you know his biggest contention it got rid of all the plots to free edward <laughs> three assassins run by with a hot poke <laughs> don't be suspicious yeah. don't be suspicious <laughs> uh, <clears throat> But they, they do think that he probably was murdered on orders of the new regime, but it's it's really impossible to be certain. And and this is kind of a, another factor into why a lot of people think it was murder, just, just not by Red Hot Poker, with several of the individuals suspected of involvement in his death um, did flee the country. Oh. So it, it wasn't sure if it was because of the political turn um, or, or what we, happened, but but they did run away. No, now, when, we we had a vacation planned since the beginning of the year. Yeah. Okay, but I, yeah. I mean, when you saw what Edward the Second did, just murdering everyone, and then Edward yeah. the Third is here, and you're like, well, I'm suspected of murdering his dad. Like, I should probably yeah. get out of here, even if I didn't do it. Yeah, and that's kind of what they're thinking. But you know, there's there's a lot of little things that lead to spec. And the biggest thing is, and this is the huge conspiracy, is there's a whole other set of theories that he didn't actually die in 1327. Instead, he died in 1330. And the reason people think this is there was this letter called the Fieschi letter, Fieschi letter. And it was sent to Edward III by an Italian priest who claimed that Edward actually escaped Berkeley Castle in 1327 with the help of a servant um, and retired and became a hermit in the Holy Roman Empire. <laughs> and basically they're saying that the body that they buried during the funeral in December of, of 1927 was actually that of a porter at Berkeley Castle. And he was the guy that was killed by the assassins and it was presented to Isabella as Edward's corpse to avoid punishment. So the assassins arrived at Berkeley Castle ready to kill Edward II. He had already fled, so they killed a porter to disguise him as Edward II and presented him to Isabella as like, oh, no, we did our job. You, you stuck there. the fire poker up the wrong guy's butt. <laughs> just just, just beat his face a little bit. She won't be able to tell. Yeah. Here he is, your majesty. <laughs> Oh, that looks like his butt cheeks. Yeah. Well, they, no. they used the fire poker to singe his butthole, so that way the proctologist couldn't identify him. <laughs> we can't, no, we can't get it. just I, fully took the piss on the job. Now, I will say, Isabella didn't really have much contact with Edward in the last five years of their marriage. Um, from 1322, she pretty much just left 
wherever he was, because he was living with Hugh um, at that time. And so she didn't have much contact with him from 1322 to when he died in 1327. So it is feasible, you know, they could kind of disguise a body and she wouldn't really know. Right. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of the other big conspiracy and they do have a couple of tie in factors. There was a lot of articles on this conspiracy. Um, but they think that the letter is linked to an account of Edward the third meeting with a man called William, the Welshman and that the William, the Welshman did claim to be Edward the second. Um, so there's, there's conspiracy that he did meet with his father at some later point in even 1338. So, you know, it, it could have been that he did die in 1330 and then, you know, there's other accounts that he lived even longer. So, okay. um, but yeah, some of the, the aspects of the letter have been, uh, looked over by, you know, different scientists and scholars and things like that. And they did say some of it is really accurate. Um, but there, there are parts of it though. They're like, no, that could never have happened. So it's, it's a little bit of yes and no, and just nothing's very clear, Yeah. but, but yeah, so there's a, a few different things, uh, for his, you know, suspected death. He could have just died of natural causes in 1927. Um, he could have, escaped and lived to 1330 and then he could have lived even longer as a hermit in the holy roman empire and met with his son again in in 1338 so there's a few you know little weird things there but but overall when he he died essentially the entire government was like oh yeah that isabella and mortimer are actually the bad guys here um you know they buried him with all the rights of a king of england um and and they actually did the Abbey where he was interned became a huge tourist kind of trap. And I don't know if tourist is the right word at the time. Um, it was actually run by monks, oh. but uh, I mean, his heart was removed and put in a silver container. Uh, he, you know, his whole body was embalmed. It was just a lot of, of fanfare um, at the time because essentially they were like, Oh yeah, maybe he wasn't so bad. And maybe this <laughs> wasn't his fault. Uh, you maybe know, kind of thing. We're the assholes. Yeah. Are we and, the baddies? And, yeah. And he was definitely depicted as a king when he was buried. So they didn't strip him of his title, um, even though he was hmm. forced to abdicate at the time. So there's a lot of kind of back and forth on what the government thought of him at the time. And the other thing is, is, is when he was, when his, his tomb was actually created, like I said, it became a really popular site for visitors and the local monks uh, rebuilt it in the 1330s and the surrounding church. Uh, modifications were made because so many people came in. Um, they actually had to create bigger areas for larger numbers to come in and, and see his body and his tomb. Um, and <laughs> Jeffrey LeBaker, Geoffrey LeBaker, um, who was a chronicler at the time, actually depicted him as a saintly tortured martyr. Um, and Richard II actually gave royal support. It was unsuccessful. This didn't happen, but he gave royal support for a bid to have Edward canonized, which canonization is, it's part of Christian communion, but basically it declares a deceased member of the church worthy of a public cult and basically gives them the title of a saint. Um, so he, he tried to make him a saint. Because he, out of anybody, he deserved it. Yeah. Now, this was in 1355, so several years, a generation or two after this all happened. And it actually recently, in 2007, 2008, 
um, the entire tomb was restored um, and they did uncover his wooden coffin in 1855, still in good condition. So he was really buried in a way where he was kind of the opposite of how he was treated when he died. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. So especially yeah. if the hot poker was true. Yeah. He got, he got the like true definition of yeah. like, you became better after you died. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, as we've moved kind of through time, a lot of people today do see him as one of the least capable rulers yeah. of England. He was the best worst ruler. Yeah. It, there was a lot of conflicting stuff when I was reading here, but he's mainly remembered for squandering his father's military gains in Scotland, uh, losing that battle of Bannonburn or Bannockburn. Um, with Robert the Bruce uh, alienating his wife and causing her to, to partner with Failing France and invasion. Um, and also all the barons in the area alienating those and promoting his personal favorites um, like Piers and Hugh. What so, good thing did he do? Now, he, <laughs> there, there was a few things. They, they do a couple of articles, not a whole lot of them, a couple of ones um, that I found did say that what he did at the time was really oppressive and caused a lot of issues. But people later on argued that he did grow the parliamentary institutions during his reign. And that ultimately was a positive development for England. Mm -hmm. So they're saying like over the long term, he did better, even though he really screwed things up when he was there. He wasn't <laughs> like out of a hundred things that he yeah. did. One was good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, a lot of people said, you know, at the time he was a big disappointment, but honestly, I mean, he, he really loved Piers and, and Hugh, um, I think, you know, in, in that time. And I think he made a lot of decisions based on his heart instead of his head. Um, and, I mean, he was or accused of being homosexual in a time where that was a big deal. Like it was just before. a head in his pants that was making the decisions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. be considered yeah. acceptable. Right. And, I mean, he was forced into accepting a lot of things that limited his authority. Um, you know, he was forced by the ordinances of 1311. You know, he was the Lancaster family really took control in a lot of ways. And, and I mean, that's, that's a lot to handle. I mean, you're a king, so you think you'd have to, you know, be ready for that. But he, he did, I think, get to the point a lot like Isabella, where he was forced to a breaking point and made decisions to protect the people that he loved. Oh, so this is what it feels like. <laughs> um, you know, and he, he made some really poor decisions, but I do think a lot of it was, you know, he was misled by the people that he trusted most, you know, and, and he did come in at a time and make some really brash changes that upturned a lot of the decisions his father made, you know, so it, it was a lot he was kind of put into and, and a lot of it is his fault, but I do think some of it was just, he was very misunderstood. Um, I tell you what, and, he'd love the movie rocket man if he was alive today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if he didn't die in 1327 with some mysterious stuff, he could be. Yeah. So so I do think, you know, a lot of it was was very poor choices on his part. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I just I think he would have been better off if he wasn't a king, you know, mm -hmm. and it didn't have those responsibilities. He could have been, you know, a little so bit freer to do what he wanted to do. But yes. Okay. <laughs> so. Wrapping it up like we do for every episode once somebody has done the research, since you put in the extensive search requirement to <laughs> get some information on this 
I don't know how to describe him. This Chap. not so great dude. Chap. Um, what would you say the moral of his story or biggest influence he's had on just life in general today? I think the moral of the story is it's it's always a bigger picture. Yeah. Because I think a lot of it, if you look at it from like Isabella's point of view, like she was doing her wifely duties, she was doing her queenly duties, and she was, you know, she she did everything she thought was right. And ended up having her children taken away and imprisoned and, you know, by these people that got closer to her husband. But, you know, she was put into this political marriage at 12 years old. So there was a lot of the, you know, a lot of people really respect her nowadays, you know, in the in the age of feminism. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you know, she was really stripped of power and she didn't have a lot of choices she was able to make. And, you know, this was kind of her way to, to make those changes. Yeah. And then with King Edward, I think the same thing there. He was, you know, put into this position of heir when he was four months old, you know, and who's to say, you know, if he was you know, just mad at his dad and didn't want to do the same things or whatever it was. But, you know, he wasn't able to live the life that he necessarily wanted to without scrutiny. And I think that influenced a lot of his decisions as well, because he was being told, no, 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 you can't do that. We're not letting you make this decision. We're taking the power away from you. So I think, I don't know, I think there's a lot of deeper things. So the moral is, don't tell your kids no a bunch of times without <laughs> without saying yes every now and then. Because the and more you say make no, a political marriage for peace. Yeah, and yeah. I, I would say too, don't put children on the throne and force them to make decisions. What age is okay? Thirties. <laughs> uh, if you were like, if you were in this situation and you were like, I got three kids. Shit, two of them just died. I'm on my deathbed and I'm the king. We have to have an heir for the throne. Our now youngest son is, let's say, 15, about to be 16 years old. Mm -hmm. The kingdom needs a king. That's when you put somebody else in place to watch over them. See, that's when when you you go into like, huge dispenser over here is my right hand (laughs) man. And you're like, boom, now we have to trust huge over here. Yeah. I mean, it's all fucked up. Royalty in general is—it's yeah. so, a messed up process. My answer would probably be: I feel about fifteen, sixteen-year-old would be would be okay to put them onto the throne if they had I an mean, advisor. Yeah, I, I wouldn't give the power to the advisor. Yeah, I wouldn't give the power to the advisor because then you got some shady shit that could happen. But like, yeah. have somebody advise the fifteen or sixteen-year-old would probably be. Yeah, I, so, I just think absolute power for one individual is never a smart thing. No. <laughs> Absolute um, power corrupts. So I guess influence, influence or impact on our world today. Like you're walking down the street and you're like, boom, King Edward II, that was him. What influence or impact would you say he has on our world today? I mean, I don't think it has as much impact on us, but I think in England, a lot of, like, like you said, the parliamentary stuff. Like but... you're walking down the street and looking into a shop and there's a fire poke and you're like, boom, King Edward II. No. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, now I I'm definitely now. going to think that. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think it stands, you know, when you look at history, especially with a lot of the prominent movements that are happening right now with, um, you know, rights for, you know, the lesbian, gay, transsexual, you LG- know, community. LGBTQ, is that right? LGBTQ. LGBTQ, not QT, yes. And then a yeah. plus sign. Plus, yeah, plus. Yeah. plus um, you know, for anybody there's that's more. struggling with that nowadays, I think it it speaks a lot to, you know, their struggles, even looking back over, you know, 
years and centuries and seeing that a lot of people with the same issues back then, you know, it's, I don't know. I think it itself. volumes. Again, history so, yeah. itself. You know? yeah. I would say the Never moral of the story. Circle. <laughs> I would say the moral of the story for me is don't be an asshole to everyone. It's going to work out in the long run. <laughs> and hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. I agree. I agree. <laughs> don't be an asshole to everyone or else you're going to die from your asshole. <laughs> hell hath no fury like a red hot poker up the back. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I All think. Right. I think that's it that was yeah. a good successful episode and uh we'll be back in two weeks for the next one and make sure you listen to last week's death shifter episode and <laughs> uh listen to our special guest rose from the ember witch saga and some awesome rap and acoustic from ned liran and uh velicor 78654 it's pretty great <laughs> stuff thanks thanks for joining us and uh have a good one people Booyah. thanks for listening to the death address Follow our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive information on what's to come and to ask us questions. Take a look at our website at www.deathshifter.com. You can find all of the links there as well as some information about the Death Shifter team. If you're interested in supporting the show, check out our Patreon at patreon.com deathshifter. We'll see you all next time. Till then, take care of yourselves and don't forget to tip your death guides. Time to learn. Time to laugh. It's the death of dread.